All right, hold, hold on. But before you sit, I got a question. I want you to talk to me about it. Uh, I want you to tell someone the last time that you colored. Coloring. Like, think of the last time you colored and, and talk to somebody about that. When did you color last? All right, j just for fun, if you're willing, who hasn't colored in like 10 years? Perfect. 15 years? 20? All right. Perfect. Great segue. Can you get the, the first slide about the sentence, I think? So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. Today's about patience. And today I'm going to ask you, uh, as you leave, um, I'm going to actually give you a picture. And you're going to color. All right? So the reason I'm doing this is I've been doing a lot of coloring at my house right now. Uh, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And we've been... Uh, learning about coloring inside the lines. And uh, there's this distinction when you color, I'm not sure if you know this, there's coloring and then there's scribbling. Everyone knows the difference, right? So when you scribble, why do you scribble? You get impatient. You want the picture to be over. I want to go to a new picture. So if I can just finish this one with one color really fast, I get a new one and say, Daddy, Daddy, give me a new one, new one, new one. So I want you to color today, this week, okay? Who's willing to color? It's a real test of patience, and it's actually really fun. I've been talking to adults, and there's a lot of adults in our church who love to color, just so you know that. But uh, so what I want to do here first is, um, yeah, I want to read our passage. Because uh, I want you, I thought about telling a story, but if I tell the story before I read the passage, you're going to say, I don't really understand why you're telling me the story. So I'm going to read the passage first. This is me, James 5, 1 through 11. I'll give you a minute to grab your Bibles or your phones, however you like to read. Just don't play it audio. All right, I'm going to try to talk. Uh, but what I'm going to do, though, is uh, I'm going to read it with expression. We've been talking about this. Oftentimes we, we read quietly, and uh, it's just different when you read it out loud. And lucky for us, James has a lot of really vivid, colorful language today. So uh, I think we'll have some fun. And uh, I'm going to try to pause in certain places, and we'll see if you catch it as we work through the sermon. But I'm going to read this, and uh, I think we're ready. All right, here we go. James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men and women who were not even opposing you. So be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the field to yield its valuable crop and how patient they are for the fall and spring rains. So you too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. 
the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. People of God, it's the word of God. All right. So I was having a conversation this week about patience with somebody who's wiser than me. And uh, I was explaining it, what we're going to talk about today. And they said, it's great. So Clayton, first thing I want you to know is I think we need to be more patient. I mean, I believe in Jesus and I think we're supposed to. He said, but I need you to tell me why. Why should I be patient? So I live in a world today that where everything is going faster and faster and faster. And if I show patience, I fall further and further behind. So that means I have to keep going and keep going and keep going. And right now in the world we live in, if I don't respond immediately to a crisis, an immediate response, I get judged for my lack of response. But if I respond too quickly and say the wrong thing, I judge for my wrong response. So he said, I just, I just don't know, what do I do? How? Why? Why? I said, that's a great question. Let me think about it. Lucky for me, it was Tuesday. So I came with three reasons, and I think I find them in our passage. I hope I remember time back in. The first is that my favorite, just me, simple summary of what this says and what, who God says he is, is that uh, God's in charge, and you can trust him. I found that statement really challenging in life. But I think, simply, God's in charge. You can trust him. I think that's the first reason. So I think if I can be patient through growing, through sharing, through suffering, it implies that I trust someone to be patient. That's first. Second thing, I was reading a book. Well, I saw this book. My wife is reading it. And it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Hurry is the opposite of patience, right? Opposite, that's right. And so this guy, John Mark Comer, he says this at the very beginning. He says, the moments, my worst moments in life, where I've made the worst decisions, where I've made the worst decisions, have stemmed from when I was in a hurry. So that's a pretty compelling reason for patience. So I'm thinking about my life. Think about your lives. When you're in a hurry, when you want to scribble and get to the next picture, the next thing, what happens? You rush a relationship. You rush your work, you rush whatever. What happened? I think that's a compelling reason for patience. And the third one is this. I think that my patience, because I've watched this, if I'm patient in life, in the midst of all things, my patience will outlive me. My ability to be patient will live longer than I do. So I want to tell a story I think it's been told here before, but it's been told by someone else, and I have a different perspective because I was little when I heard it. So my grandpa always told this story. It's about trust, talking about not being in a hurry, and talking about how our patience lives. Um, it was summer in northwest Iowa, August. And my family we were farmers, my great-grandparents. And they had not had a crop for two years, two years of crop failure. It's a big deal when you're a farmer. I'm not, but I'm told it is. Third year, my grandpa would say the corn claim stood tall and proud. Uh, a friend of mine named Henry at a church I used to work at would say in the summertime, Clayton, if you sit outside the right time, you can actually hear the corn grow. I don't know if that's true or not, but I believe him. So it was one of those summers. The corn was amazing. This large family was like, finally, all the hard work pays off. So they're having supper. As they're having supper, dark clouds build in, black clouds, and then blue clouds. Grandpa would say, the sky turned kind of purple and green. 
the sky seemed wild. He said it went berserk and the heavens opened and rain fell, yes, but then hail fell. Golf ball size hail. And he said they watched for the third year in a row their livelihood be flattened. So as a child, what do you do? You watch your parents. What are they going to do? So my great-grandpa sits for five minutes and says, thankful I have my wife, thankful I have my kids. He offered a short prayer, and everyone just sat. Food got cold. My grandpa would tell a story that one of his sisters stood up and went to the piano, which is where they worshipped. And he would say they had two hymnals, ten Bibles, and two kerosene lamps. They were rich, he would say. So his sister went and sat at the piano, and she began to sing. And this is what she sang. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. So he said that they sang through the first hymnal. They sang through the second hymnal. And they went to bed. And he said, Clayton, I slept like a baby. The peace of God fell on our house. So he watched his parents be patient. And that story, I know that story. I'm telling a story to my girls. And God willing, I'll tell it to their kids. So the stories live way past how we respond. The story goes on. So my grandpa was 10. Next morning, the uncles call. So you can come work at our farm for 25 cents a day. He's 10. His mom knows he's a little scared. So she brought Harold outside. I said, Harold, you see the North Star? He said, yeah, Mom. He says, let's pretend that's God. So if you keep your eyes fixed on God and you just keep plotting through life, you just keep walking and you just keep moving patiently, someday you'll be an old man and you'll turn and look and you say, I came a long ways. Those stories are ingrained in me. So I think our patience, that's why I think patience is important. It's because it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about kids that you don't know. It's about more kids that you don't know. Generations of people will be impacted by our ability to end this life. Because what did Jesus say about this life? You will have trouble. He said, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So this week, we're going to get to it. I want us to actually practice patience. And the most simple way I could think of was to color. That's why Hannah's up here. Her coloring might look different than yours and mine. (laughs) But she's going to create and slowly create. I'm going to ask you to do the same. Okay? All right. Here we go. But we have to put patience on the shelf for just a minute because James does not start with patience. I'll tell you what. He starts with something else. So let's put that on the shelf for a second and we'll come back to it, okay? So James starts with this really strong rebuke about people who will never read his letter, which I think is really interesting. So the rich that he's talking about, they're not a part of his church. He's talking about other people. So why would he talk about other people in this letter to his churches? Perhaps it's because the people at his church are looking at the world around them and saying, it would be way better if I was like that. And James saying, it's not. So if you pay attention to the language, he, it's all present tense. 
So James says, you know, so you look at uh, their wealth. It has rotted. So it's already rotten. In their lives currently, they might be wealthy right now, but he says it actually is rotten. He says moths have already eaten their clothes. I've never seen that happen in real life, but I know what happens. But their clothes are already destroyed. And then he talks about silver and gold, which cannot be corroded, I think, in this, in, on this earth, but it's already corroded. So he's saying the things that they have put their trust in will not give them what they want, will not come with them to heaven. And guess what? He says at the end, God is coming. And he has heard and he is watching. Last week we talked about the proud who wanted to live without God. That's what he's talking about here today. And when that day comes, they will still be without God. And they will be judged for how they chose to live. Without him. They didn't want him. So God said, okay. And that day is coming. But I thought it was interesting that he had to address the people outside of the church first. So I was trying to think about this. Uh, like a, so they're putting their trust in something they, have, they think has lots of value. We talk about media a lot here. Because media is wild right now, right? So I read this article recently because the title piqued my interest. Uh, a guy named Tim Keller shared it. It's by a guy named Jonathan Haidt, who I don't know what his spiritual background is. But the name of the article is what got me. It said, I think it was, uh, let's see here, uh, why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. And I thought, oh, i got to find out why, right? So there's lots of reasons. Uh, but the one that stood out to me was around media, because we, we, we consume a lot of media, right? And so he said about how there's these things we put value in that we think are going to give us what we want, but he's like, but they already don't. They're already ruined. You're, they're ruining your life right now. And so I thought this is a good example. So he talks about the beginnings of our media, our social media. He talks about how when it first came around, it was really exciting because you could share ideas with people all over the world. Internet was new. There's chat rooms. Like we're sharing information. This is great. We can communicate around the world. This is what we want. He said in 2008 then, Facebook had 100 million users. Now there's 3 billion. The idea is that, man, what evil person in this world could possibly take over something? Because we'll always, always know. If something bad is happening, we can share it around the world and we'll be able to fix it. It'd be great, right? Well, in 2012, a famous CEO said, we're at a tipping point in humanity. Like, we're about to go to this next place and it is going to be the best tipping point. It's weird he called it a tipping point because tipping points mean go the other way which perhaps we were. And his reason, one of the things that he thought led to it were really simple. It was the like, the retweet, and the share. He said as soon as these platforms put those things on their platforms, the use of the media changed. Because why do you share things, if you're honest with yourself? To get a like, to get a retweet, or to get a share. There's good things to share, but because we want people to read ours, what do you got to do? I don't, really funny, really inflammatory. So he said, when that happened, it just like, whoa, it just, it just fell off a cliff. We were talking of, uh, we watched a video the other day, I'll say it right now, I'll do it later, but I'll do it now, uh, called how, how to have grace-filled political conversations. And uh, yeah, laughter, I know. And so this lady is talking, and she said, so she posted something on Facebook, and uh, they're trying to figure out how to, how to do this. And she said she posted it, and her dad unfriended her which I think has been happening. And she said, she called her dad and said, no, you cannot unfriend me. I'm your daughter. She said, here's the deal. We're going to have different opinions. Yes. And we're going to have hard conversations. 
Yes, we will disagree, sometimes to the point where either you'll want to leave or I'll want to leave, and we probably will. But guess what? Since we have to come back together and talk, and we have to remain in relationship. And what happens in our media is it's really easy to not have to maintain that. That took a lot of work for her to probably do that. So he said we had this tipping point, and these things in the, in the world that we think are valuable, who will take us somewhere, James is like, it's already rotten. Now. So he wants his church to know that. It's got me this week. Been checking my media consumption. How am I talking about things? Am I reading other thoughts or other opinions? Because this lady wanted to say that her conversations with her dad, who's on the opposite side of the aisle, have actually been helpful for her to understand his opinion versus just her own opinion. So, all right, let's take patience back off the shelf, all right? So James gives us three examples, um, but I guess overarching is that the three examples look, they're, they're like just all of life. James like, you have to have a patient posture in life. But he gives us three examples. Can you have the three, I think, Morgan? Yeah, so he gives us a farmer, a prophet, and he gives us Job. So I just want to unpack those for a couple minutes, and then uh, we'll move to response. So I don't know a lot, of, I give a farming example, but I don't know a lot about farming. I don't know if you know that or not, I'm kind of a small town guy. I, well, I, I used to do tassel corn, which is hard, by the way. But I was talking to a friend this week, named, his name's Tim Benmana, and he spends his t- weeks downstairs growing our young people. He, he has been investing for years into who's downstairs. And what's fun for me, as we've been talking, is I'm starting to see the fruit of his labor. I've had young people up here with me who are Man, they are forgiving people during the week, like last week, and they're telling everybody about it. Like, that's crazy. All this work downstairs is coming upstairs. But he explained farming to me this year. And his statement was this. Call it the patience of the farmer. When things look good on the surface, it's not always so good underneath. And so he said, this year, we've had a cool, damp spring, right? And then all of a sudden, it got super hot. So when it gets warm, as the farmer, he said, you want to get in the fields. We're, we're, they're already behind. And they need to catch up. So he said the temptation was to get in the field right away and plant and plant and plant. He said, but the problem with that is that he said, you know how you used to make bricks? With bricks, um, let's see, you take dirt, field, you add some water to it. And he said the problem was the top of the soil was really dry, but underneath it was really wet still. It had not dried out, but the 90 degrees, the, the 90 degree days tricked everybody. But so it was wet. To make a brick, you take dirt, add water, you add some fodder, like last year's crops or straw or weeds, and you press it together and you let the sun bake it. So if you're a farmer this year, if you got out too early, your big equipment would roll over this dirt and you'd plant your seed and then 90 degrees come and you get bricks. He said there's, I'm guessing you can't grow a lot of crops in in bricks, right? It's not going to happen. So he said it was hard, but you had to be Patient. He had to remind himself that, remind other farmers that. This is what he said to end. It kept reminding me to get back to basics. Don't forget, the first thing you need is good, is a good seed bed. So he had to remind himself that he had to trust, and even when I don't feel it, God is working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. So I thought about this farmer. I thought about myself, my own discipleship journey. People I know. A wise guy has told me, it's important to be in the moment. It's important to enjoy the moments. But when you're going to look at change, you have to step out and look over longer periods of time. So he, this person who's wise than me says, I look at decades. 
what has happened in the last decade? So for me, I was 28. 28 to 38. My wife and I actually just, we actually just discussed this. The Lord has been doing a lot of things in my life over 10 years. But see, the temptation is that we want to fix people right now. And we see their life as a mess right now. i got to fix it right now. But if you go too early and if you aren't patient, you're just going to create bricks. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Second one, the prophet. Be patient in the message. I was talking with someone this week. Um, and uh, they took my story and asked for permission. And they said they're in relationship with someone right now. And a uh, person's life is not in a good place. But they, have a, but they want them to know. They just want them to know that they are valuable, that they are loved, that it can be different. But the problem is they don't have anyone who's actually showing that to them. So they told me our family made a decision to invest in this person generously, knowing the person would probably abuse our generosity. But we knew that going in. And then the person did abuse their generosity. So we had to forgive them. And we'd remain in relationship with them. But they knew going in what was going to happen. But so we want them to know that there is good news. And I think this person has done that because just knowing their family history, I think people before them are radically generous people. So what happened before is playing in their life and then their life is changed in someone else's life. You're patient with the message. This is all of life. The last one's Job. And Job's hard for me. I think we read Job and we think that Job's life ends well. It doesn't. Kind of, right? You ever know the story of Job? It's a long story, but he loses everything. And he has this long conversation with friends and God. At the end, he realizes that God is God and I am not. And I don't understand a lot of this stuff. And then at the end, the things that he lost, in a way, get replaced. Like he gets new things come. And we think that Job's life ended well. He lost his kids. He lost people. He lost years of work. He lost. That's hard. So it's all about patience and suffering. And uh, it's interesting to me that the songs we opened with, Yes, I will. I will choose to praise from the lowest valley. God's goodness has been chasing after me. Those are things that in my life I've had to sing because I did not think they were very true at the time. I had to choose to praise. I had to choose to believe his mercy, his goodness is chasing me. Actually saying it out loud. Most of the time I could not say. This morning I could not always sing it. I raise my hands because I know it's true. But suffering is so hard. We all suffer in all kinds of ways. But I'm just struck here this last couple weeks that how I live in the suffering will impact my little girls and it will impact their kids. It will impact their kids. I'm so grateful that I've had examples before me who have done this for me. But I know that's not everyone's story. 
Many of us don't have that story. So last week was about forgiveness. I think the Lord can redeem all things. And I think that whatever the story was does not have to be the story now. It's not the story for your children and their children. But you might have to forgive someone. I think that's the way it can break. In forgiveness, there's new creation. There's new life. So afterwards, prayer ministers in the place of prayer, I think, or in the room, or I'll be up here. You might have to forgive. Because maybe you have been suffering. But you want a different thing to be your legacy. I found this, uh, this poem. Well, I'm going to say something else first. Also, someone brought this to my attention. When you become part of the circle of love, which we've talked about for a long time, when you become part of the family of God, who's in your family? This room. So perhaps your own family story is a really crappy story. But guess what? When you say, God, I, Jesus, you came, you lived, you died for me. My sins are forgiven. I'm a new creation in you. You become a part of a new family. You're adopted into a new family, and that family story gets to be your story. I know that there has to be forgiveness with our biological families, but also, too, we can't forget. I think I always forget this. There are Christians around the world, not Christians, disciples of Jesus around the world, whose stories are now my story. Their faith stories are mine. I can draw on those stories because they're part of my family. And that's a hard thing to understand, but I think we need to understand. We've been adopted into a new family. Yeah. So here's the poem. I like this poem. If I can find it. Suffering. I... When after my brother died, I read a book a bunch called A Grace Disguise by a guy named Jerry Sitzer. And he said some things that I will not forget. But one of them, and I'm still trying to figure it out, but I think it's true, is that he said, I, it's just weird tension. It's like, I wish, he lost his, um, um, his mom, his wife, and his daughter. And in this book he writes, he said, I I wish with all my heart that I still had those people. Every day I miss them. Every day I long for them to be with me. And he believes in Jesus. He knows that day is coming. But he said, but in this, he said, I would not change though. He's 20 years in, maybe more, who I have now become. How deep my faith has become. How deep my level of trust is as a God who has shown me favor, whose favor is just, it's the gift of himself through his suffering. And I just wrestle with that. I think it's true. I really do. But suffering's so hard. But something happens in the suffering. And I can't explain it. So this poem goes like this. It's called Good Timber. It says, The tree that never had to fight for sun and sky and air and light, but stood out in the open plain and always got its share of rain, never became a forest king, but lived and died a scrubby thing. The man who never had the toil to gain and farm his patch of soil, 
who never had to win his share of sun and sky and light and air, never became a manly man, but lived and died as he began. Good timber does not grow with these. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. The further the sky, the greater the length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. Where thickest lies the forest growth, we find the patriarchs of both. And they hold counsel with the stars, whose broken branches show the scars. Of many winds and much of strife, this is the common law of life. I'm going to invite the band up. So this is what I want to do with your picture. What you want you to do with your picture? I'm still working on mine. And that's okay. You know, with little people, you start and you stop and you start and you stop and you start and you stop. We're getting there. I think we have some pictures of the girls that we worked on together. This is what I want you to do. I want you to practice patience. Not just coloring, but with people and suffering. So what we're trying to do is we're writing the initials or the words of whatever it is in the top. And as we color, we're talking about that. We're praying for that person. Because when I drew mine, I asked our girls as well, you know, I said, don't, don't just use vibrant colors, right? Use blues and blacks and grays, browns, and vibrant colors. So I think what happens when we scribble, just to get to the next thing, is we miss out on the beauty of what a full life a full life, a tree with deep roots. So those trees, right, they, they grow more trees, and they grow more trees. So we're going to conclude with two songs, and, and they're really their prayer. And one of them is just, I'm glad that Mike and the band chose it. It's called The Blessing. You probably know it. But um, so I had the honor of getting to be a part of my father-in-law's funeral. I think, so earlier I said that your story is not just, your own biological family is not just your story, right? I was adopted into a new family as well. And the story of that family has become my story. And so my father-in-law's funeral, we read Psalm 51 because he wanted people to know that they are forgiven. They need forgiveness and they can receive forgiveness. He wanted people who don't know yet that they are loved by a heavenly father who, as the verse concludes, is full of love and compassion and mercy. And then he wanted to end the service with a, he, he wanted to bless everyone who was there. You know the song. It's built off the old numbers blessing. The Lord shine the Lord be gracious to you in suffering. He wanted everyone in the room to know that the Lord was looking right at them. I love you. You are mine. Come with me into eternity. So I, I was in the front, so I didn't get to see you. But I'm told there's someone in the back 
He was a really good man. He just stood and he just received the blessing. So I don't know if you need a blessing today. If you need to know that the Heavenly Father is looking right at you, He is with you in the growing, in the suffering. In this life, you'll have trouble. James would know his brother's words, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Or perhaps there's someone in your life right now who is broken. And you understand why they do what they do. In the not knowing, could you just bless them right now? Bless them. Lord, turn your face towards them right now. Show your favor, your presence right now. Give them your peace right now. And I wonder, it feels like whenever the Lord does something in someone's heart, he needs one of his followers to be there to talk about it. So whoever it is your blessing, if it's not you, I think that person's gonna come talk to you. Would you be prepared? But it might take a long time. Be patient. We pray. Man, I'm so grateful for your patience, God. Your patience with me. How you're so slow. Because you don't want any of us to perish. You want to give the gift of eternal life. Life with you and life with people who love you forever. So would you bless this place with your presence? And that as we think of others, would you send your presence? 